Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. All right, today we're talking about gluttony. You know, the glutton, according to the Oxford English Dictionary from the Latin word to gulp down or swallow, is someone who eats to excess and takes pleasure in immoderate eating. John Milton, in his uh, Paradise Regained in 1671, he wrote, Sumptuous gluttons and glorious feasts. But it is Ed Spencer, Edward Spencer, uh, description of loathsome gluttony in the Fairy Queen in, in 1590, or Shakespeare's The Glutton Like She Feeds Yet Nether Filleth uh, from his poem Venus and Adonis. That best captures certain aspects of those who have binge eating disorder bed. And for those patients, there's no pleasure in their or immoderate uh, eating and nothing poetic about their distress. You know, binge eating disorder it's diagnosed by the criteria that it's somewhat arbitrary and including how frequently a binge has to occur for the diagnosis to be made. But it includes eating with a discrete period of time within the two-hour period, an amount of food that is uh, definitely larger than what most people would eat in a similar period of time under similar circumstances. It's also a sense of lack of control. Overeating during the distress, like you're feeling uh, disgusted or depressed uh, regarding the binge afterward. And so binges typically consist of foods that high in fat and salt and sugar. And people typically do not binge on vegetables. Those with binge eating disorder can be of normal weight, overweight, or obese. And significantly, what distinguishes binge eating disorder from bulimia nervosa is that those with bulimia engage in compensatory activities to rid themselves, blow up, to vomit the, the extra calories of their binges in order to avoid weight gain, such as uh, uh, vomiting, excessive exercising, the use of laxatives. Those with bulimia can also have periods of restricting their food intake. And it, that's like, uh, uh, it's called subjective binges. And it, it's it's uh, basically not as steady, not as consistent as the other activities. But dysregulation in both directions of the amount of food consumed, these the, basically is defined as a disturbance in the eating disorder or eating behavior, which there's currently no established etiologies. Even though genetic, environmental, biological, and psychological mechanisms have been, you know, decided on. So the bottom line is overeating and specifically binge eating can cause serious psychological distress, lower quality of life, and weight gain. And so we have to understand, you know, uh, as uh, uh, Sir Osler and the quotable Osler 2003 once wrote, the glutton digs his own grave with his teeth. And basically, it's called a suicidal lifestyle. The glutton will eat themselves to death. It's a lifestyle where they die slowly and precariously, but they die simply because they overeat. Diabetes often comes with that. You know, gluttony is basically 
an overindulgence. It's it's overconsumption of food or drink, and it's it's something pretty much all of us are guilty to to do from time to time. I know I have. We all love to eat, and we especially crave rich, calorie-packed foods. And knowing we shouldn't often make little difference, how much and how often has your willpower collapsed at the sight of something you really, really like, like maybe a chocolate cake or ice cream? You know, our drive to eat goes way beyond basic hunger. You know, if you think of of, uh, anyone that would love to just take a magic pill – and not gain any weight, that would be incredible. You know, we'd probably eat six meals a day and maybe even some pecan pie after that. But there, there's a drive within all of us to eat and eat and eat and eat much more. And what's worse is that this drive seems pretty well focused on foods that are horrible. And if you think, when was the last time you had an intense mouthwatering craving for Brussels sprouts? Okay, that would be healthy. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't. At our most basic level, we are built to crave the high-fat, high-sugar, high-protein foods. And many of us grow into an appetite for more healthy foods after time. But that takes like getting to know it. It's like trying to uh, understand how a person would want to drink coffee. Because coffee, and originally, when you first start to drink it, tastes terrible. But the bottom line is we develop an affinity for it. So gluttony is a feature we share with nearly every animal across the planet. Anyone with dogs or cats knows how they can gorge themselves on treats, on meat, and other uh, savory foods. And we have to regulate the diets of our companion animals carefully, or else they will become overweight very quickly. And the same goes for laboratory animals like rats and mice and rabbits and fish and monkeys. You name it, that happens. Even in zoos, great care has to be taken to select their diet, not not just to include the diversity of food that they need to be healthy, but to regulate their intake so that they don't become morbidly obese. In some, all animals, including especially humans, if left to their own devices, which all of us are, will overeat at the point of extreme obesity. Why on earth do we do that? Well, you know, there's contrast with seemingly contradictory fact that you almost never encounter obese animals in the wild, animals in their natural state, that is, the environment they're adapted to through thousands of years of evolution are most often trim and even skinny. And when we put them in an artificial habitat, they will immediately balloon up if we're not careful. Why would this be? Could it be because artificial nature of the simulated environment just isn't right for them? Absolutely. And that is the human world we live in. We live in an environment that is conducive to being overweight. Indeed, it, it, it's, it's, it used to be thought that the stress of captivity causes hormonal changes and nervous overeating. It turns out that it doesn't seem to be the main issue. You might guess that the lack of proper physical activity and exercise is the culprit. No, plenty of environments and anecdotal experience have, have, have disproven that hypothesis. So why do animals stay skinny in the wild and obese in captivity? Well, the answer is a little disturbing because it turns out that animals in the wild are probably living in a near constant state of starvation and intense hunger. Life on Earth is a difficult t- time. Life has been 
bustling on our planet for at least 3.5 billion years. And the animal kingdom emerged at least 650 million years ago. And that's 10 times longer than the amount of time that has passed since the last dinosaur died. And during all this time, proliferation of animals has allowed them to fill virtually every possible niche where they can experience intense competition for each other. In other words, the majority of animals in the wild, their lives are teetering on the knife's edge between survival and death. And there simply isn't enough food to go around. And the fact that all species tend to produce far more kids or offspring than can survive was one of the first key realizations by none other than Charles Darwin, leading him towards his discovery of natural selection. So what does this have to do with gluttony? Well, because animals are locked on a vicious struggle for survival. They're wired for intense hunger. They seek food all the time and will consume every last bit that they can. After all, who knows how long it will be before they get another chance. Only by gorging on food when it's available do animals get the best chance of surviving to the next meal. You know, a lion will eat 15 pounds of meat in a single setting. You know, a, a snake will eat a meal that can last uh, nearly uh, equal to its body weight. And so, uh, you know, we humans are no different. We have a drive inside of us to eat at every opportunity. As soon as our stomach empties, we want to eat again. Fruits and vegetables will do if nothing else is available. But we want food. We want good stuff. We want the high-calorie, high-fat stuff. Those are the foods that are essential for surviving for days and weeks when food may not be available. The problem is that nowadays, food is available, and our bodies aren't built for that. So sensible eating decisions and discipline restraint aren't part of our inborn psychological toolkit. So nowhere in the spiritual animal world is willpower or self-denial necessary for survival. But we as humans need willpower if we're going to control what we eat. And we have too much access to, to uh, rich foods. And there hasn't been near enough time to expect a change in our biology because of it. You know, when grocery stores came around, and then freezers and all that stuff, that's less than, it's about 100 years ago where everybody had that stuff available to them. It should also be noted that previously thought our relatively sedentary 20th century lifestyle is mostly to blame for the recent, recent increase in obesity in Western populations. So the idea was that in previous generations, more and more of the population earned their living through physical work. Before electronics, most recreation was physical. While these two phenomena do probably play a some role, the idea that decreased physical activity is chiefly responsible for recent obese epidemic is now falling out of favor. The availability of rich foods and resulting calorie-rich diets seem to be the main culprits, but exercise, exercise, exercise would not help, would help any human being. For the masses, it's only been a couple hundred years that rich food has, has been available. That's mostly in the in the developed Western world where we are in the United States. Before the Industrial Revolution, only elite few could eat rich foods every day. The poor wretches who did not have money and uh, were not better off than even the animals in the wild. They had to be um, 
constantly looking for the next amount of food. Indeed, being stout or plump was a sign of being a part of the rich aristocracy and privileged until very recently. And we're now surrounded and bombarded with high-calorie foods, which goes against millions of years of evolutions that's trained us to overeat whenever we get high-calorie foods because that used to be what kept us alive. So overeating is a great strategy when, when it was only rarely possible anyway. But now we can do it every day, multiple times. For most of us, our weak willpower is simply no match for our physiology. As far as our bodies are concerned, at every meal, we are pounding on the energy storage as if for the long winter when we should be barely eating at all. It's even worse. In addition to the tendency to eat, eat, eat and choose energy-rich foods, our bodies, our big old honker bodies are built to adjust our metabolism and fat de 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 deposition uh, patterns in order to gain weight easily and lose weight difficultly. Did you hear that? Gain weight easily, lose weight hard, not easy. So weeks and weeks of dieting and exercise results in small losses, while a weekend binge eating can pack on a few pounds just like that, just like any moment. And this is not an illusion. It's, it's, it's caused by our cynical human tendency to see the glass half empty. Our bodies really do adjust our baseline metabolistic rate to prevent weight loss and promote weight gain. If you looked at the average uh, sizes of dresses and pants – Back a hundred years ago, you would find that a size 40 was not to be found. But anything above that now is truly normal. And it's kind of sad. You know, uh, our bodies are, are so impossible when it comes to weight management. If you're going to be an old person and overweight, how is your body going to carry all that weight? Do you, Can you imagine if you're going to pack on 10-pound uh, weights to your body, what that's going to do to your body and to, to, to your back and to your legs and to your arms. You know, when we pack all that weight on, we have to understand our bodies may not be able to sustain that. And everybody's weight gain management is possible. We need to start counting calories. And there's all kinds of programs on the internet, all kinds of, of uh, software that allows us to count calories throughout the day so we know exactly what we're consuming. We have Fitbits so we can actually measure how many steps we take in a day. These are things that we have to do in this society to adapt to a world where weight gain will kill us. You know, hundreds of studies have proven that. You know, healthy and sustainable eating styles have to be adopted permanently. We have to opt for fruits and vegetables and fewer desserts and meat. You know, more whole and raw foods and less processed and sweetened ones. You know, cut out the soda, trade fruit juice for vegetable juice. Combine high protein and high fat foods with high fiber, low density. You know, in other words, have your steak or a hamburger, but keep it small and have veggies or a salad as a side instead of fries and potatoes. You know, try to eat more slowly. Drink plenty of water as you do. Have whole fruits or for, for dessert instead of cake or ice cream. Treat yourself on occasion. That's fine, but keep it rare and the protein small and, and walk and, and cycle whenever possible and take stairs instead of an elevator every day, throw in some regular cardiac exercise, has our recipe for healthy energy management. You know, it's not easy, and 
sacrifices have to be made, but people find that resulting of a high feeling of healthy and energetic makes few life patterns easier to maintain. So that means our life becomes easier when we eat healthy and when we exercise. And I know that sounds crazy, but that's what we need to do. In this world, we are inherently able to choose to be lazy, to sit on our butt and be paid all day long to sit on our butt and do things. You know, the psychological reasons for overeating have nothing to do with trivial things like the size of your your plates or the amount of your willpower. In fact, you know, many compulsive eaters already have an enormous amount of willpower. However, um, we have to apply willpower. And what is willpower? Willpower is our soul. That means it's the essence. It's why we're here. We're humans. Uh, we are souls living a human life. That means we have our human cavity, which is what the the body consumption, that the food consumption is all about. But then we have our, our, our soul, and our soul is the journey we should be on, and that should be the one that we just eat as much as we need, not more than what we need. That is what will keep us going, you know? You know, that to help us get out of the root of a problem, turn to the tension on psychological overeating. There's no diet or exercise advice because uh, we're talking about spiritual wellness. You know, overeating is never a, a diet problem, an exercise problem, but it's it's truly a willpower audio, uh, uh, issue. It has to do with your thoughts of yourself and what you will allow of yourself. You know, there's a lot of reasons for overeating. You know, if you're getting joy from food instead of life, it's called hedonic eating. And and if you look at, to, to, to food completely out of your life, how much joy would you be left? You know, the world would look a bit, a bit empty. It'd be – you'd be a hedonic eater. So that means that basically you um, get joy from food. And that's sad, but that's what people do. They, they don't have a good life, so they seek comfort from food. And when people do that, if you really want to step out of that, what you've got to do is start taking care of yourself and understand that there's consequences for all of that overeating. And there are people who depend on you and people who need you that if you don't take care of yourself, if you don't eat right, if you don't exercise, that means they're going to have to assert more energy in their life to support your bad decisions. Unfortunately, that's what a lot of people do. They let themselves go. They walk into health issues. They walk into, you know, uh, diabetes and all kinds of other things. And then other people have to play a big role in their life. And that sucks for you to live a suicidal life and make it affect other people's lives. You know, some people are just too busy also. And it takes the body at least 20 minutes to register that it's full. So eating slowly is a really great way to stop overeating by, you know, uh, feeling uh, your, your your fullness in the moment that it happens and waiting for that rather than trying to get there very quickly. So when people are busy, they eat like gluttons and basically they turn into gluttons simply because they're eating too fast and not allowing their stomach to register that it is full. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more about gluttony and why people are gluttons. So come back. <music> Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. 
Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. It's time to serve, learn, change the world. Tune in each week for The Power of Young People to Change the World, hosted by NYLC's CEO, Amy Muirs. The program is a forum for both young people and the adults who love and support them. We make connections with others through stories of change, partnership, and new perspectives of issues facing the world today. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time, or anytime on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about gluttony. You know, if you... If you think about your busy lifestyle, if you struggle to slow down your eating, you might need to slow down your life, you know, because the way we do one thing usually is the way that we do everything. So what we have to do is understand that we cannot afford to eat impatiently. We need to eat patiently and make it a good experience for ourselves, for our family. You know, if you eat for the hunger to come and although your intentions are pure, it backfires on you. And so do you, if you ever eat extra food now so you won't be hungry later, that overplanning could be surprisingly the psychological reason for overeating. What you're doing is you're stretching your stomach out. And so, you know, if you're going to do that, what will happen? Your stomach is a muscle and it will stretch. And as it stretches itself to capacity, as you keep adding more food over and over again, your stomach will stretch, and that makes us be fat. And it's also frustrating to say at least that, that uh, we don't understand how we got to that position. We don't understand because we subconsciously program ourselves to overeat to prevent the hunger to come later. You know, eating for hunger to come and your anxiety about hunger is actually the same source of a a particular overeating habit. So if you think about it, if you slow your life down and you stop fearing that you're going to be hungry, what's going to happen is you're probably going to challenge yourself to not eat as much and only eat when you're hungry and only eat is enough that you need to eat. That's it. You eat until you're full. That's it. Stop. At that point, but you have to wait 20 minutes of eating 
until you can understand that you're full. You know, we also have the scarcity mentality, and it's a huge psychological block to weight loss and overeating. When you tell yourself that you can't have something, you want it more. And this is one of the reasons why diets don't work. You know, how do you use reverse psychology to your advantage? I'd recommend giving up dieting altogether. When you give yourself permission to eat exactly what your body wants, you stop binge eating those foods because the scarcity factor is gone. So you're no longer in competition with yourself. You're not dieting. You're changing your lifestyle. That's it. That's all you have to do. You know, if you're afraid to stop dieting because you're afraid of weight gain, you know, if you're, you're afraid to stop dieting, uh, you're not alone. We all feel that way. Myself included. I know the fear of gaining weight is all too real, but when you eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full, your weight will regulate itself. Unfortunately, we don't pay attention to that, and we need to do that. And that means eating should be almost like meditation. It should be slow and simple and very mindful instead of being something that is uh, constantly busy gorging ourselves and then going off and doing something else. You know, if, if you give up dieting, to your surprise, you won't overeat. You know, there's many hurdles that you don't expect, though, and that is the fact that you are going to be hungry. There is an aftermath of being fat, and that problem is we have to we have to overcome the signals that our stomach is sending that it wants food. It wants food because it's big, and it's big because it's been overeating for years. So if you're going to shrink it down, you need to ignore the temptation to want to eat. You know, now we're diving into some of the most deep psychology behind overeating, and that is cognitive dissonance. And that occurs when we carry conflict beliefs in our brains and it pulls us in different directions. And this can result in unwanted behavior like overeating. It's like pornography. Pornography, for some people, it's a no-no. However, you know, hopefully for most of us, and, and uh, you know, the bottom line is we still want that distance. We still have that planted in our mind as I can do that. You know, understanding your beliefs is a critical for mastering the psychology of overeating. When you can't identify the conflict beliefs, you can let them go. And best of all, your behavior will change naturally. No forcing, no fighting, no depriving required. Now you can regain your integrity. When people are overweight and gluttonous, they lose their integrity simply because it's quite obvious that they want to fill their tummies, that they are self-serving, and they are gluttons. And most of us have no idea what beliefs we're carrying around. I certainly didn't, and this is where the real inner work happens. So gluttony can destroy us, but it also takes away our integrity. And if you haven't done the inner work, the best type of inner work is therapy, meditation, yoga. Nothing compares to the quality of therapy, but not everyone's re ready for that kind of a step. For those who want to dip their toes in the water instead of deep diving into therapy, you know, stop overeating. You need to master your psychology. You also need to master your eating. The best gift you can ever give anybody, your children, your spouse, or anybody in this world is you to be healthy. Some of this requires looking at the uncomfortable parts of ourselves, you know, our spiritual wellness, 
doesn't always feel good, but it works. And when we're spiritually well, we have integrity and we take care of ourselves. That's huge. So many of us have been there. We wake up in the best of intentions to eat healthy, fresh food, and lo and behold, by the end of the day, we find ourselves foraging from junk food, looking for chips and salty snacks, craving chocolate or ice cream, simply overeating at meals, and we are left feeling exhausted and we wonder, how do I stop overeating? You know, if you're someone who struggles to stop eating before you're overfull, no, you're not alone. This is a common problem. This is a problem I've had, and I do have. And 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 when challenging to the message to our media is that overeating is practically synonymous with sin. And we're left to beat ourselves up by overdoing it. And we suffer from shame for not having enough willpower to stop. But we want to recognize that you haven't failed and that you can stop beating yourself up. You know, it's important important to know that overeating is a process and it's a challenge, but it's not the end of your life. And you can transform your life in ways you may not have ever imagined. You know, learn more about your cues. That's the first thing. This is a very simple strategy. It's often overlooked and taken for granted, but listening to your hunger and fullness cues can be challenging at first. But once you learn how to do it, you'll feel so much more empowered. Our bodies are full of information and intuition. Take time to check in with the to see what it's telling you. How does your body feel when it's slightly hungry? Does your stomach rumble? Do you get a slight headache? Does your mouth start to water? Does your mood change? Now take a moment and consider how you feel when you're slightly full. Where do you feel it in your body? Do you feel energetic? Do you feel clear-headed? Do you feel focused? Now we're starting to be consciously understanding about our eating. Very important. Hunger and fullness cues are different for everybody. This is a learning process. So you got to be patient. But the key is to begin to observe your body so that you don't, you're aware of what it's telling you. And by feeding ourselves when we're just beginning to feel hunger and stopping when we're slightly full, we can find a sweet spot. We can avoid too hungry scenario where we reach for less optimal foods or too full scenario where we feel uncomfortable in our body. You know, we also need to understand the difference between the body sensations and its feelings. And that strategy is lesser known because it's sometimes difficult and very hard to find and understand the difference between true hunger and emotional hunger. You know, emotional hunger means that we are not happy. We are lonely. We are tired. We are bored. Whatever that is. That's emotional hunger. That means we're trying to fill something emotional with food. You know, emotional hunger is a feeling, and we need to really get to become aware of that. It's a sensation of hunger is true hunger, and it starts in your body, and it alerts your brain that you need food. And this is why it's important to get to know how you feel when you're hungry and full. Once you're aware of the sensation of hunger and fullness in relation to food, you can begin to differentiate between true hunger and emotional hunger. Now, emotional hunger is a feeling, and the feelings start in the brain as a response to our thoughts and then travel down into our body where they can often be felt as physical impressions. And so – Often we mistake feelings for signals originating in the body, and emotional hunger can feel as real as psychological hunger for food. 
And the key to the strategy is food will never resolve an emotional hunger for very long. If you're eating because you're bored or angry or sad or irritated or stressed or whatever the feeling may be, no amount of food is going to fill that. Instead, working to resolve and process your feelings is the key to overcoming emotional hunger. And how do you do that? Well, you start to communicate your emotions. I feel this. I feel that. When you said this, I felt this way. That means you're starting to recognize and conscientiously understand your emotional vocabulary. And when you notice yourself being uh, reaching for food, uh, take a moment to ask yourself, are you doing this because it's a sensation of true hunger or it's a feeling, an emotion of hunger? And you may be surprised how many times the answer is emotional eating. Did you know that eating too fast is, is, is a common cause? And we talked about that, of overeating. And when we gulp down food too quickly, our brain cannot fully scan and decipher our meal. So it bypasses all of the registers that help our body understand when enough is enough. And so there is a scientific term, and it's called the, the cephalic phase digestive response. That, and then what that basically means is that digestion begins in our head. It begins in the mind. The body starts warming up its organs of digestion when you see food. And then you even think about food. That's when the body starts to warm up the organs and get them ready for food. And the process is further activated when you fully taste your food and your brain receives a message of enjoyment. And if you eat too fast, you skip that. And your brain and your body do not get all the information that they need to regulate the digestive process. So you may not receive the signal that you're full in a timely fashion. And this increases your chances of overeating, as we said earlier. So the remedy is simple. Stay present. Slow down. Sit at a table. Turn off the television. Turn off the media. Turn off all your devices. Enjoy the company at your dinner table. Appreciate the sight and taste of food. And you find pleasure in the entire eating experience. And when you eat, you really eat. And you just might find yourself needless, uh, 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 needing less food and feeling full. And, and needlessly, you will no longer have to drive your day by what you eat. And it sometimes stops seeing overeating as the enemy or your appetite as the enemy. It's simply a symptom. Don't give it so much power as to be the enemy. That's not it. Appetite is the enemy. That's not it. That gives that thing too much power. Uh-oh, here we go. I'm going to do this again. You know, overeating has nothing to do with the – the. It, it's, it has everything to do, excuse me, with how we eat versus what we eat. So – Try strategies, shifting your relationship with food, and you may find that overeating to be a habit of your past. That's important. So many people today who are struggling with weight and other digestive issues believe they have a problem with overeating. They think that food could 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 just stop eating and when they should, and then their metabolism would function perfectly and their body would naturally find its proper size and shape, and then maybe the perfect love, the perfect job, and the perfect life would fall into place. But what is the point at which we should stop eating? That's the one. That's what's important. How do we know when we've reached it? And why do so many of us find it so difficult to stop when our body has had enough? You know, it, it's important to know when your body's had enough. You will stop at that point. Don't keep eating. When you're full, you're full. 
That's the deal. Stop eating the whole plate. If that's what your parents taught you, don't do that. We don't live in a life of, of, of where we live in the wilderness and have to hunt for our food. That's where that phrase has come from. But the bottom line is we have to learn to measure what we put on our plate to what our appetite will allow us to have. That's more important. Overeating is a big issue. So many people are trying to regulate their appetite and what they eat so they can look perfect. And if you look perfect, you can have the best body and you can have the best interactions. You can wear the best clothes and do all the best things. And that's a big challenge. It's a big challenge. And, you know, but and yes, if you're not overeating and you're losing weight, your body can carry your body rather than have to carry your body and 50 more pounds. That's crazy. That's really hard, hard, hard. I feel bad when I see overweight old people because I know their body is struggling just to get to walk to the store across the street or or mow their lawn or do very simple things. They're out of breath almost immediately. Why? Because they're carrying too much weight. That's why. And so we have to learn that we can't live a sedentary life and eat like gluttons. That's not going to work. We have to measure our life, measure exercise and healthy eating if we want to live longer. You know, it's, sometimes it's really hard to figure out what your body wants. You know, what is that emotional need? You know, here's what I want to say. You know, if you think you're an overeater, you know, you know, I, I want to say something like overeating is not your problem. It's a symptom. It's not the problem. It's the symptom. Very important to understand that. You need to regulate yourself. That's integrity. Now and again, there's a lot of reasons that we overeat. And, and that you know, Thanksgiving is a day of overeating. Christmas often is a day of overeating. Those are holidays where we celebrate. But you will celebrate better if you try to eat healthy. And that means, yes, you can eat crappy food if you want to. You can eat stuff that's laden with calories if you want to. That's great. But can you do it in measurement? Can you do it according to the size of your stomach? Do you know what the size of your stomach is? Do you know how much food will fill your stomach? That's important for all, all of us to understand, you know? And, and that, that, that uh, response, that uh, cephalatic response, uh, cephalic, sorry, uh, means it's in your head. That means that it, all of it is in our head, and the brain needs to understand how to digest. The brain needs to understand what to intake. If you go off of instinct, you will eat like an animal and eat like a glutton because you don't know when your next meal is going to come. You know, if you're not present with your life, if you're not here and experiencing the here and now, you're going to have a lot of trouble. You know, to understand and to get the full understanding of nutrition – if you want to get a full understanding of a really good, hearty eating experience in your life, the way we relate to food oftentimes is a mirror of how we relate to life. So get present in your life. Be present with the people you love. Be present when you're happy. Stop living in the past and the future. Live in the now. Be present when you're angry. Be present when you eat. Be present when you love. Be present in all of it because when we do that, we bring presence and awareness to our existence. Our relationship with the food, our body, it all starts to heal in the most natural way. And that is the magic that makes our life wonderful. It's mindfulness, folks. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about stress eating. We're going to take a quick break and come back. 
Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Unravel the mysteries of metaphysics every week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Join host Barb Crowley as she and her insightful guest share what's been learned behind the veil, going just beyond our five senses. Now you can see things with an entirely different point of view. Tune in for Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil, broadcasting live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Use it to explore your advantage and deeper understanding. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about gluttony. And there's much truth behind the phrase of what's called stress eating. And and stress, the hormones it unleashes and the effects of high-fat and sugary comfort foods push people towards overeating. And there's a lot of research that's linked weight gain to stress. And uh, there's an APA, American Psychological Association, survey that about one-fourth of Americans rate their stress level at as an eight or more on a 10-point scale. That is awful. But if stress persists, it's a different story. The adrenal glands basically release another hormone called cortisol. And cortisol increases appetite and may also ramp up the motivation in general uh, to, to, to eat. And once a stressful episode's over, cortisol uh, levels should fall. But if the stress doesn't go away or if a person's stress response gets stuck on on, cortisol may be elevated. And that means that we're living in the reaction to what's happened rather than forming a response. Oftentimes, people get stuck in the reaction and they freeze in the reaction and they stay in the reaction. And unfortunately, nothing ever gets done because the reaction is completely emotional. It doesn't have necessarily good thought to it. And once we get to the logic phase, which is the response, we're able to resonate our life and make things easier. And that is where the cortisol will go down. Once ingested, if we're going to eat high-fat and high-sugar-filled foods, we seem to have 
a feedback effect that dampers stress related to responses and emotions. So what is stress? Stress spelled backwards is dessert. You know, there's there's a lot of emotional and physical uh, distress that increases the intake of food. Uh, uh, and those cortisol levels in combination with insulin levels may be responsible. And so, you know, once ingested, fat and sugar-filled foods have that effect on our stress. And they do bring it down because they do bring a sense of comfort. However, um, they don't necessarily – and the body and the brain's going, how am I eating and being stressed at the same time? How am I panicking and being – in eating, okay, well, that tells the brain that it needs to survive over having panic. That's fine, but the bottom line is it's not going to help your gut. You know, there's a lot of people that die from a disease linked to inflammation of uh, that raises serious red flags. Inflammation of our body, gluttony. Uh, three out of five people in the world die from a derivative, an offset, an issue that takes place because we have lived gluttonously you know you know if if we eat to be inflation there's a lot of experts that warn that many anti-inflammatory diets are not grounded in science but they actually can do a lot of great things essential foods do's and don'ts help suppress uh, inflammation levels and if we get moving it flights inflammation. It reveals how much aerobic exercise, surprisingly little, it takes to lower inflammation levels and how much exercise may actually provoke an inflammatory response. So, you know, you want to get the, the understanding of that, and that's something you want to talk to your doctor about. But managing your weight is number one. Managing what you eat is number one. You know, if we want to reduce... Uh, the, the abdominal fat around our stomach that produces pro-inflammatory chemicals, you, you do, you're going to have more pain if you don't do that. You're going to have more issues if you do that. If your body is constantly digesting, that's not what it's supposed to be doing. We need to exercise. We have to burn those calories off. The, another problem is a lot of people don't get enough sleep. Maybe it's because they got so fat that it's in their nasal cavities and they can't even breathe from their nose. So when people don't get enough sleep, it also robs you of energy, productivity, and elevates inflation or in, excuse me, inflammation. It also inflates our idea of being emotional because we don't have we have a short fuse. Our brain is not able to regulate itself emotionally when we have not had enough sleep. And so that's very hazardous to your heart. It's hazardous to your mind. And there's a lot of steps we can take to try to calm ourselves down and do better. But we have to get good sleep. That is one of the major things that a lot of people do not manage. They spend their nights thinking and worrying. If you want to be a good sleeper, lay there and only focus on the function. And the fo function is, how am I breathing? How am I breathing? That's the only question you should ask yourself. If you allow yourself to do that, the brain will stop registering thought, it will calm down, and we have the better propensity to get to sleep quicker and better. People that smoke, that's a big deal. You know, kicking the habit can be a result of dramatic uh, reductions in our inflammation levels. Even if you tried to quit before, 
you know, if you smoke, that means you're an oral, oral person. That means you like putting things in your mouth. Well, smoking is nasty. Smoking will kill you. Smoking does a lot of enormously difficult things in your life, like cancer, like diabetes, like overeating. Yes, it's very, very unhealthy. Then you can't breathe. You know, it's just so many things, your blood, there's so many things that smoking does to your body. And the deal is, if you're going to be a smoker, that means you're always going to have to put something in your mouth. And that means if you're not putting a cigarette in your mouth and you stop smoking, you're going to start putting food in your mouth and get fatter. So a lot of people will smoke to prevent themselves from eating. How sad that you have to psych yourself out like that. You know, if you limit your alcohol, you know, alcohol can be either your friend or your foe. So if you, if you want to drink really hard, hard drinking stuff like, like vodka and whiskey, you're going to knock your butt out and you're going to kill your liver. And your liver is not going to be able to process what it needs to, the toxins in your body. And that can cause major inflammation, a lot of weight gain, a lot of problems. So you want to limit alcohol use if you're going to have alcohol in your life. And you also want to, you want to tackle stress. There's a stress hormone. It, there's a stress um, uh, gene. And that gene, once it gets turned on, at some point in your life, your brain says, I have had enough. I'm going to turn on that stress gene. It turns on the gene. And basically, that gene starts marching towards your exit strategy, which is heart disease. Uh, it could be, you know, cancer. It could be diabetes. Whatever, whatever your exit strategy from life is, that gene, once it turns on, will go after you and it will kill you. And even if you cure a heart attack, it will still continue marching towards another heart attack. It does that because that's its job is to kill us once we have had too much stress in our life. So we need to bring our stress down. It's huge. It's so important that we are very understanding of ourselves, very compassionate with ourselves, very compassionate with our bodies, simply because our soul needs a good cavity to do its work. You know, compulsive overeating is characterized by an addiction to food, and, and lots of people suffer from compulsive overeating, and it engages in uh, frequent episodes of uncontrolled eating or binging, and during what they feel frenzied or out of control. They'll eat much more quickly than normal. They'll continue to eat even past the point of being uncomfortable. And binging is the way, in general, followed by a period of intense guilt and feelings of depression. So it's like riding a roller coaster emotionally. And unlike individuals with bulimia, compulsive overeaters do not attempt to compensate for their binging or purging behaviors such as fasting or laxatives or vomiting. Compulsive overeaters will typically eat when they're not hungry, spend excessive amounts of time and thought devoted to food, and secretly plan or fantasize about eating alone. So compulsive overeating almost always leads to weight gain and obesity. But not everyone who's obese is a compulsive eater. You know, in addition to binge eating, compulsive voter eaters can also engage in grazing behavior during which they return to pick at food over and over throughout the day. And this results in a large overall number of calories consumed even when the quantities eaten at one time may be small, but over time, as they've collectively gone back to the table to get more food, they overeat, and primarily that's binging. And that they, they so they have what's called a binge eating disorder. They can't stop. You know, when there's continuous overeating but no binging, 
then the sufferer has compulsive eating disorder. So if it's left untreated, the compulsive overeater can lead us to serious medical uh, issues, diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, clinical depression, stroke, kidney disease, arthritis, you name it, we can get it. And that comes from that stressful overeating. Compulsive eaters uh, normally begin in childhood when the eating patterns are formed. And most compulsive overeaters never learned effective ways to deal with stressful situations and instead learned to turn to food as a way to blocking out painful emotions. Some compulsive overeaters consciously and unconsciously use excess body fat as a protective layer, particularly those who have been victims of sexual abuse. You will find many people's bodies in their childhood will blow up because they want to make themselves unattractive because they have somehow been sexually uh, molested or touched or whatever. They make themselves unattractive by becoming fat. And unfortunately, that is just another suicidal lifestyle. Unfortunately, that means they're hurting themselves in another way. And so they sometimes feel that being fat will make them less attractive and less likely to abuse, be abused later. So although many of these sufferers of compulsive eating try to combat their increased weight through dieting, this can exacerbate the condition. Dieting can lead to feelings of deprivation, which the compulsive overeater is driven to block out further binging. And unless the emotional reasons for binging are not resolved, the sufferer frequently becomes locked in an unending cycle of dieting and binging. And then, guess what comes? Guilt, shame, self-loathing, de uh, depression. You know, if you want to look at signs, eating more rapidly than normal, eating alone due to shame and embarrassment, binge eating, eating uncontrollably, even when they're not hungry, feelings of guilt after they eat, preoccupation with their body weight, depression or mood swings, awareness that patterns are abnormal, history of weight fluctuations. These are all signs, signs that we have to look for, you know, uh, uh, withdrawal from activities because you're embarrassed about how fat you are, uh, history of many different unsuccessful diets, eating little in public but maintaining a, a huge body weight, and a belief that life will be better. They will be a better person if they're thin. That is the kind of dialogue that these folks have that are compulsive eaters. And, and it's treatable. And it's treatable when they become more conscious. That's what it takes. They have to consciously go, I have a problem. And I've got to solve it. And I can't just sit around and complain about it. I've got, I've got to do something with this. i got to know when I'm full. I got to know how big my stomach is. I know how to shrink my stomach. I need to let my stomach get to the size of what it needs to be to have my body healthy. You know, if, if you eliminate uh, addictive substances from your diet, that can include alcohol, caffeine, sugar, white flour, along with other items that are personal addictions like alcohol and drugs, which are triggers for binging. And developing with support a, a food plan is well-planned and balanced, weight-measured, and sticking to it absolutely. Another thing that happens is people that smoke marijuana, which is becoming very pervasive in our culture as a norm and state laws are allowing it. But people overeat when they smoke marijuana. It's a depressant. It calms them down, which is nice. But then they start getting what's called the munchies. And a lot of people that fall into that marijuana habit also fall into weight gain. You know, if you're going to eat emotionally, if you're going to allow yourself to feel emotional and then go eat, 
you are creating a humongous problem. When you have financial worries, when you have work stress, health issues, relationship struggles, issues with your children, issues with your marriage, all of these things are huge. But you can't find comfort in food. That is not where you want to go. You want to count, find comfort in confrontation and in, in being able to match up your emotions and communicate your emotions, even if it's in therapy. That may have actually help you lose weight. You know, so reason, many reasons that people get fat. And, and, you know, people are always looking to fill their emotional needs. I get it. I know it's so important, but food cannot be your bottom line. Not in this day and age when we are such a, 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 a very uh, a, an inactive group of people. We are technology-based people. We're using our brain more than our body. And now we need to find a way to compensate for that and adjust to that. So that's our show. Thank you for listening. I love hearing from you. You can do that at voiceamerica.com, the empowerment channel, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. We also now have a Facebook page where you can reach out and donate to our show via our webpage at voiceamerica.com and the link section. Now remember, hard, fat people are harder to kidnap. Also, many people's hobbies are eating and complaining about getting fat. Also, remember that winter fat turns into spring rolls. Also, don't you wish everything was as easy as getting fat? Thanks for listening, everybody. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 